the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter, and it is Friday. Of course, this is not our normal day to have episodes, but we are diving into our next Lisk mini episode. So each Friday for 10 weeks, we're honoring the lives of the victims connected to the Long Island serial killer. And this is the fifth of these special episodes, and we've got five more on the way after this as well. And if you haven't heard of the Long Island serial killer yet, you will want to press pause, go back, and listen to our three-part in-depth series on the list case. And then you can come back when you're finished. Right. And here's the deal with what we're doing, if you don't already know. When you've listened to this three-part series, you'll know about Lisk. And like most serial killers, they deliberately murdered and targeted sex workers. And sex workers face more violence and stigmas than any other career, basically, in the United States. So, with this series, we're trying to help. So the first degree is teamed up with Jimmy Toast, who is a kick-ass jewelry brand designed by my friend and fellow Long Islander, Jamie, to create a fundraising campaign and initiative um, designed to benefit the Sex Workers Outreach Project. Yeah. And Jamie has really gone above and beyond for this campaign. She's crafted 10 different limited edition, one-of-a-kind necklaces that are all amazing and really, really cool. And each necklace is inspired by and in honor of the Long Island serial killer's victims. So the necklaces are available for purchase at theheavymetalproject.com and on our website, jimmytoast.com. And 100% of the net profits will be donated to the Sex Workers Outreach Project, or SWAP, and that is a nonprofit dedicated to the fundamental rights of people in the sex trade. Yeah, and just to drive the point home and so that we're all on the same page, Jamie from Jimmy Toast is doing this for free. We're doing this for free. No one's making any money, not a single cent off of this initiative except for SWAP, which is exactly how it should be. And again, you can visit theheavymetalproject.com to learn more about what we're doing, the necklaces, and how you can help in supporting the fight for sex workers' human rights. Okay, so now we're ready to get to the important part. Today, we're talking about Megan Waterman, and you learned about Megan in part one of our three-parter on the Long Island serial killer case. And Megan was a young woman with a bright future ahead of her. She was a loving mother, a caring friend, and a really hard worker. We even interviewed her amazing sister, Amanda, for the special uh, part of the episode on Lisk that we did with her. So in this episode, we'll learn even more about Megan's life, and most importantly, we'll do our best to help keep her legacy alive. So on Memorial Day weekend of 2010, 22-year-old Megan Waterman boarded a public bus. She was traveling from her home in Scarborough, Maine to New York City, and she wasn't alone. She was with her boyfriend of over a year, Akeem Cruz. But this six-hour journey to the Big Apple wasn't a weekend getaway for Megan and Akeem. The young couple was headed to New York City strictly for business. That's right, because at this time, Megan was engaging in sex work, and she had been doing so for about a year. And Akeem wasn't just Megan's boyfriend. He was also technically her pimp. He was actually the one who'd introduced Megan to sex work in the first place. 
So now the two would make a trek to New York City every few weeks. They'd book a hotel and post ads on Craigslist for Megan's sex work services. Megan would meet with clients, make money, and basically pay Akeem for protecting her. He took a cut of everything she made. Yeah, and it was a really lucrative situation for Akeem because, you know, he would wait outside the hotel room, kind of twiddle his thumbs, just hanging out. And of course, on the other side, this whole arrangement was incredibly dangerous for Megan. And even though Megan appreciated how the money from sex work helped her provide for her daughter, Megan didn't want to do sex work anymore. It didn't make her feel good and she was ready to quit it. Right. And supposedly Akeem supported Megan's wishes. He apparently told Megan he would get out of sex work too and his connections with it as well. And he assured her that they could settle down, get married, and have some kids of their own. And for all we know, that Memorial Weekend trip might have been one of the last times Megan ever intended to do sex work. Either way, things didn't go as planned. On June 5th of 2010, Megan and Akeem checked into a Holiday Inn Express in Hopog, which is in Suffolk County on Long Island. Surveillance footage showed Akeem leaving the hotel at around 9 p.m. that night. And then Megan was recorded exiting the hotel about 1.30 a.m. But as soon as Megan stepped out of the Holiday Inn's front doors, she vanished, and she was never seen again. And this isn't a situation where a person goes missing and nobody notices for months and months and months. Megan's family knew something was wrong immediately. And that's because Megan hadn't called her three-year-old daughter, and Megan always called her when she was away from home. Once in the morning, in the afternoon, and again right before bedtime. Three times a day, every day, like clockwork. So when June 6th came and went, but Megan hadn't contacted her daughter, everybody knew that something was wrong. On June 8th, only two days after Megan disappeared, her family reported her missing to the Suffolk County Police. And as you probably guessed, they did absolutely nothing. They did so much nothing that a journalist from Long Island Press named Jacqueline Gallucci published an expose on the case in October. It was entitled, Lost Girls, When Women Go Missing on Long Island, Some Matter, Prostitutes Don't. And it reads, in the 138 days since Megan has been missing, her case has rarely made the news. In fact, like most missing person cases involving prostitutes, it's hardly gotten any attention at all. The byline of the article read, where is Megan Waterman and why does nobody seem to care? Luckily, Megan's community and family weren't going to just stand by and watch Megan's case get swept under the rug. And in fact, Megan's friends and family went above and beyond looking for her. They went to Long Island on their own dime and handed out missing persons flyers all over the city. They contacted organizations that specialized in missing people. They held candlelit vigils, created websites, and hired private investigators. And they even fundraised a $2,500 reward for anybody with information regarding Megan's whereabouts. But little did they know, it was too late. In December of 2010, seven months after Megan went missing, a Suffolk County police officer and his dog were searching an area where another sex worker, 23-year-old Shannon Gilbert, had gone missing. It was along the highway called Ocean Parkway on Long Island's south shore along Gilgo Beach. And this police officer accidentally uncovered four bodies— all petite women, all sex workers, all strangled. The four women, who were quickly dubbed the Gilgo Four, were meticulously wrapped in burlap and placed 500 feet apart down the beach. The Gilgo Four are believed to be the victims of the Long Island serial killer, and 22-year-old Megan Waterman was one of them. So what happened to Megan? Where did she go the night that she went missing, and who did she see? Was it a client? Had she known them? And why hadn't Megan taken her phone, wallet, or keys when she left? In short, what the hell happened? 
And how had it happened at least three additional times? To answer these questions, you know the drill. We got to go back. Megan Amelia Waterman was born on January 18th of 1988. And from the second that she entered this world, Megan was loved by her mother, Lorraine, by her father, Greg, and by her grandmother, Muriel, by her multiple siblings, by her friends, and so many more. Honestly, we can't possibly list all of the people who cared so deeply for Megan Waterman. There are just too many. And as a child, Megan was fiercely independent. She was a leader. She adored music, dancing, and beaches. And above all else, Megan really loved her family. Young Megan was fearless, spunky, and charming. She was a little rambunctious and an adventurer. When Megan was in the first grade, she climbed over a bridge reeling 30 feet off the ground and made the teachers call the police to get her down. And she'd often get into fights with other kids at the skating rink. And by fifth grade, she was enrolled in a school for at-risk youth. Megan didn't finish high school, but even so, it was impossible for teachers, social workers, and other authority figures to dislike her. In fact, Megan was notoriously likable. In her teen years, Megan befriended the police officer who regularly arrested her for petty crimes like underage drinking and smoking, and they stayed in contact for a long time. And when 18-year-old Megan became accidentally pregnant, that police officer was one of the people she confided in. And according to Robert Kohler's book, Lost Girls, the police officer told Megan that her unborn daughter was going to be a blessing, and Megan must have really taken this advice to heart. She was one of the most dedicated mothers this world has ever seen. In the summer of 2006, Megan gave birth to her daughter, and Megan always went the extra mile for her. She read to her, played with her, snuggled her, taught her all of her favorite songs, showed her how to dance, how to smile, how to laugh. And according to Megan's own mother, her daughter was Megan's life. And so when money started to get tight, Megan figured it out. She just had to. And that's why Megan eventually moved in with her grandmother in Scarborough, Maine. And it's why Megan took on multiple jobs in the restaurant industry to make ends meet. And when that wasn't enough, Megan began working as an exotic dancer at a few different strip clubs. And it's why when Megan's new boyfriend, Akeem, suggested that sex work was a way to make some cash quickly, Megan jumped on the opportunity. No matter what she had to do, she was going to provide for her daughter. Which is why on June 6th of 2010, investigators suspect that Megan was going to meet a client for sex work. Megan probably didn't tell Akeem about the client because she wanted to keep 100% of the profits. And Megan probably left her phone, wallet, keys, and other important items at the Holiday Inn because the client offered her money to do so. This is all speculation, of course. We don't know. But we know that Megan would have done anything to support her daughter, even if it meant putting herself in danger. And in 2020, Megan's daughter gave her first ever television interview to CBS's 48 Hours. And in it, she explained that the loss of her mother will always impact her. She told reporters, part of you is missing and it's just like something is always off. And she emphasized that if there is anything that she could do to bring Megan back, she would. And she also shed some light on Akeem Cruz. According to her, Akeem was abusive and violent towards both her and Megan. She called him rude and scary. Akeem's not a knight in shining armor, that's for sure. So if you're wondering what happened to him, only a few weeks after Megan went missing in June of 2010, Akeem was charged for threatening a woman in Portland, Maine. He allegedly pointed a knife at her. And during the altercation, Akeem allegedly slashed the woman's tires and said, you better stop talking about me or I'll kill you. Yeah, really freaking classy. So on August 10th of 2010, Akeem was arrested in a hotel after a DEA raid. And he was charged with having 13 grams of crack cocaine in his possession. 
In November of 2010, Akeem received 20 months in jail for that drug charge. And in January of 2013, Akeem also received three years in prison for transporting Megan across state lines for sex work. And this was really a harsh sentence in particular for this crime. A judge was kind of throwing the book at Akeem since he refused to cooperate during Megan's investigation, and he was partially responsible for her murder. The judge said that Akeem didn't kill Megan, but he certainly put her in the zone of danger. Right. And we're not sure where Akeem Cruz is now. He'd be about 33 years old and might be going by the names Vibe or Mellow. So if you're in New York or Maine and you think Akeem is talking to you, well, proceed with caution. And for a long time, the Suffolk County police kept Megan Waterman's case really close to their chest. But finally, in 2022, this is a year ago, they released five surveillance videos from the hotel where Megan Waterman disappeared. And in the videos, you can see Megan. She's wearing blue jeans and a yellow top. Her hair is down and she looks really cute. Yeah. And the videos, there's no sound. I mean, they're kind of grainy and pixelated. Yeah. And, you know... You could see how these would have been really helpful had they been released then yeah. in the days following her disappearance, right? It's it's frustrating, and there have been a lot of questions as to why the Suffolk County Police decided to hold them back for over a decade because, I don't know, in 2022, 12 years later, it's unclear how helpful this information would have been. Because ask yourself, like, can you remember brief interactions you may have had with a stranger in a hotel lobby 12 years ago? No. What about a suspicious car in the parking lot of a hotel where you were there briefly? Like 12 years later, that's useless. Well, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Serial when uh, Sarah Koenig was talking to all these high schoolers being like, do you remember what you did three weeks ago? Or it might've been six weeks ago. I'm not even Mm -hmm. sure. And everybody's like, no. So imagine multiplying that now by over a decade. Like there's just no way anybody remembers anything. Right. And as, I mean, we just got back from staying at a hotel. It's like, you just don't really even clock anything. Like in a lobby, no. it's like, I don't expect to know anyone here. I don't expect to ever need to remember anything here. You're really not scanning it in any, you know, unless, critical way. Unless something really weird is going on. Like, and when you watch those surveillance videos, it wasn't, nothing weird was going on. She was just checking in and kind of walking through the door. So right. it's, it's useless now, really. Totally. But if you can, please watch the videos. And if you can add anything helpful to the list conversation, please do. And you can check out our Instagram, The First Degree. We'll post the screenshot so you can see what Megan looked like the day that she went missing. And if you have any information about Megan or the Long Island serial killer, please contact the Suffolk County Crime Stoppers at 1-800-220-TIPS. There's a $50,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest. And don't forget to go to the heavymetalproject.com where you can buy custom-made necklace to support sex workers' rights.